With the fall approaching, all eyes are now on the 2023 Farm Bill. The Farm Bill gives Congress the opportunity to invest in farmers, the communities that they support, and our national food security. Pretty big deal. Farmers and ranchers from across the country are making their voices heard and have been telling Congress what they need in the Farm Bill. Welcome to this episode of Groundwork. I'm your host, Tom Sell, and today we're joined by one of my favorite people, Richard Severson. <laughs> fourth generation farmer and president of the Minnesota Corn Growers Association, a man we fondly call Swede. Um, and Minnesota Corn works on behalf of Minnesota's 24,000 corn farmers. Richard's been meeting with corn growers to talk about the importance of the farm safety net all throughout the spring and the summer as the crops are growing. Welcome, Richard. I'm just so thrilled to have the chance to sit down with you, especially as it's a busy time of year as the farms are nearing the end of the growing season but we're just so pleased to have you and it's always a great time to sit down and visit with you tom i certainly appreciate the insight that you bring from washington and then your background in texas um our uh, minnesota corn has been working with you for longer than i am have, have been involved and i think it's been one of the most positive relationships that we could have ever have had well, I love it. And and you Minnesotans add so much color to the to the world. So maybe we'll get to some good Oli and Lena jokes or something like that. But let's just get started by discussing the Farm Bill. You know, we'd love to hear just your thoughts in a general manner on, on what you hope to see, not only as a leader of Minnesota Farm, but also as a fourth generation farmer who will directly be affected by the Farm Bill. What issues are corn growers most concerned about right now? Let's just start there. Well, uh, Minnesota corn uh, starts with a, um, uh, what would you call it, a, a, a ground up kind of policy yeah. emphasis. And Tom, you've been to a number of our pre-resolutions meetings where we hash over how policy uh, that, that goes into our policy book gets developed. Yeah. And you've seen, seen us argue and fight over some of that stuff. And what comes out, though, is a good snapshot of what farmers are thinking about. Yeah, And so we take that policy and then we bring it to, as an organization, we bring it to Washington, we bring it to our Minnesota delegation and then to the uh, four corners of the egg committees. And, and we represent uh, our 7,000 members and our 24,000 uh, checkoff paying producers with those ideas that have come right from the grassroots. So uh, I think one thing we hear from our members so consistently is that crop insurance is the most important thing that comes yeah. out of the farm bill as far as our ability to manage risk on our operations. Um, we get to sit down and, with our agents and tailor make a risk management plan that fits our operations, our, our financial resources, uh, our particular soils and the risks that those uh, uh, soils or climate may offer in comparison to ad hoc disaster payments that uh, come out 18 months after the fact and then are usually debated and politicized and watered down and kicked around until they don't mean much. Yeah. Crop insurance gets paid out usually within 30 days of the harvest loss uh, notification and it's a straightforward well understood process. Yeah. So I think our, uh, I had the chance to uh, testify to a, a House Ag Committee field hearing here at Farm Fest a couple of weeks ago. And my message really was don't do any harm 
to crop insurance. Every time the Farm Bill gets brought up for renewal, somebody comes out of the weeds with proposals to limit the gross income uh, of participants in crop insurance or uh, some to tack on a specific uh, conservation type measure um, that really would be wouldn't work in all areas and 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 all places. And I think it's so important that ag policy recognize that ag is so big and diverse across this country from north to south and from east to west, uh, from dry land uh, in West Texas to the irrigated uh, areas uh, to my north and east. Um, it's just different. Um, and so uh, it's, yeah, it's a great idea if somebody wants to encourage cover crops, but let's not tie it to a big risk management um, uh, tool like crop insurance. Man, I, I um, love just hearing you talk through that and and wanted to let you go on there because it, it just shows the command, you know, that you have the issue of the issues as a grower. And and I love you're talking about that that ground up or grassroots um, work that that your association does. And and it's so I, I just admire it because it's the way that things are supposed to happen in this great uh, citizens democracy that we call the United States of America. This is this is grassroots citizen participation in action and I, I've just so admired through the years the way that the way that Minnesota corn uh, works that process informs its members of all the issues that are going on out there and then lets them provide the feedback as to how this is going to affect their farm and their local communities those that they employ their families uh, the the communities that they're part of it's just it's a really um beautiful thing. It's, it's true American. And in these very cynical times where everyone's frustrated with what's going on in Washington, D.C., um, where, which is the, the, you know, the crucible where all the disagreement comes together. And so we naturally obsess over, over the disagreements in Washington, D.C., but it all starts with this kind of grassroots, honest, good work that, that Minnesota corn is a great example of. So let's maybe go down into some specifics and in and, and an area that a lot of people are talking about. Um, uh, and that may be how the Farm Bill is um, impacting climate goals or, or, or why the Farm Bill could be critical to addressing our country's climate goals and uh, you know invest in the future of our planet. Big ideas like that. But how's that kind of setting with the members of, of uh, Minnesota corn on the ground? Well, you know, a lot of these things are so the so-called Inflation Reduction Act and the Build Back Better plan and all yep. those things allocated all kinds of dollars for all kinds of climate initiatives and, and including many in agriculture. Uh, agriculture does have a greenhouse gas footprint. We, we use fossil fuels, but we also have the potential to be one of the solutions for climate change given all of those acres and all of that soil um, you know, when we tilled first tilled these prairie soils, we let a lot of carbon go from that had been built up and stored over thousands of years. We can do that again with the crops we grow, especially corn. I got to brag on my crop um, because the uh, the big corn plant has a lot of carbon in it. And if we can get that and keep that uh, rather than uh, releasing all that carbon back in, to the air the next year by breaking it all down right away. If we can keep some of it in the soil, uh, we can be part of a climate or a carbon reduction strategy. 
And it gets so frustrating um, when something like that gets promoted or suggested, we get uh, ignored or, or uh, you know, even uh, snickered at, whatever. But, well, I think I, I love that you raise it. You know, that big plant, corn, as it's growing, sucks a lot of CO2 out of the air in this photosynthetic process, builds it into a carbon structure in the plant and in the soil and its root systems mm -hmm. um, and creates something very valuable and useful for humanity. Right. This this uh, this, this protein and uh, uh, carbohydrates that that, that are going to feed a hungry world. And it's, you know, farmers intuitively know they're all altruistic. They all are in this business because they they think they're doing something good for the world. This is another potential avenue to the extent that, that folks are concerned about greenhouse gases. We have the machines, i.e. the corn plants, that are that are um, addressing that in very practical ways, taking CO2 and, and other greenhouse gases out of the air and putting them in the soils. I, I love the way you talk about that. Let, let's talk a little bit about ethanol, too. Huge issue, I know, for corn growers across the land we we know ethanol is a key component to reducing our reliance on fossil fuels certainly but what else do our listeners need to know about the the, the biofuel debate well uh when i uh, step back and and i i talk to folks who don't know much about ethanol and i and i hear uh, all the emphasis on putting up solar panels or wind turbines or whatever I ask folks to, as they drive across the country to look at all these acres of cornfields and just think of those green leaves as solar panels. Mm -hmm. um, they, that's what they essentially are. They're gathering solar energy. They're storing it as carbohydrates in the plant and in the, in the kernel and the grain. And so we've solved already some of the transportation issues with greenhouse gas with ethanol. We know um, that when we burn ethanol, we release 50% less uh, CO2 than burning petroleum. Yeah. And yet it seems like every time we try to increase the percentage of ethanol in our fuel, uh, even though our cars can use it, our engines can use it, we're frustrated by rules and regulations, probably promoted by those with interests in the oil business. Um, although Sometimes we find ourselves at odds with people who consider themselves environmentalists as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, so we've been focused uh, at Minnesota Corn. Uh, we've been growing the E15 uh, portfolio in Minnesota uh, by leaps and bounds. I just saw a, a thing right before we went on the air that we'd sold uh, almost 6 million gallons of E15 in the first six months of the year. No. It's 60 million gallons. We're, we're almost 10 million gallons a month yeah. in Minnesota. And uh, Minnesota Corn invested a million dollars of our checkoff dollars into helping fuel stations put in infrastructure certified to um, dispense E15. Yeah. And I think it's it's been a, just a fantastic uh, growth market for us. Yeah. Um, I There are some... And yet we still can't seem to get EPA to approve e even the uh, eight state governor's petition to allow E15 to be sold year round. They they had a 90 day window 18 months ago and that went in. Yeah. And, and, and what's up with that? Why haven't they acted on that? Yeah. Completely frustrated by that. Um, we've got legislative uh, proposals uh, from the uh, uh, 
both sides uh, of the aisle, mostly from Midwestern people from ethanol states, uh, to allow E15 nationwide, which is really where we should go. So we don't have these little islands of certain kinds of base fuel stocks needed here during certain months and, and then there other parts of the of the year. Yeah. Then, then we could have one base stock base uh, fuel that could be blended with 15% ethanol and used all year round all, all over the country. Yeah. Well, that's a, it's amazing. I, I, I share your frustration that you articulated well. You know, ethanol is amazing. And what it's done for this nation, it's air quality, uh, it's availability of fuel supply, very practical, meaning the pra very practical needs of, 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 you know, the 330 million Americans uh, that, are, that are doing great things. And uh, as an export, it's created incredible value in rural communities. And it's such a good message, but but obviously it's it's disrupting, and there are, there are a lot of businesses in place, and so you create that competition, and it has become uh, unfortunately a big a big political issues, but big issue. But but generally, there's been a lot of support, and I just love it because it it harnesses that that cycle of nature, um, and and uses that to to human benefit in in remarkable ways. Um, farmers always are in this interface with the climate. So these kind of climate issues are are nothing new. We're always uh, in what seems like a battle or trying to harness the power of mother nature. Let me, let me just kind of go back to, uh, to the practical implications of that. And, and farmers, you know, while they're looking at these big picture altruistic issues, they're also trying to produce a crop in the given year. And we battle things like flood and drought. I know y'all have been experiencing some of that in Minnesota this year. How How is the current drought uh, that many Minnesota farmers are facing uh, affecting this year's crop? And and uh, let's go back to the farm a little bit. Does the safety net help protect farmers in these times and, uh, and situations? We, we have been impacted uh, right where I live uh, pretty significantly by the by the dry weather this year. Mm -hmm. um, we're not uh, burning up like some of the guys from your home area. Yeah. Uh, our crops are generally still green, but if we go out, it was so dry uh, when ears were being formed on our corn that ears are small. If it, And I have uh, a significant number of acres that won't have any ears at all on it because just when that plant needed moisture to make an ear, it just didn't have it. Yeah. And so it's still alive, but it, it's not going to produce. Um, it's hard for me to guess uh, how much, how many bushel and impact it is. But in the uh, crop report that was out last, I believe it was Friday, yeah. they dropped Minnesota's yield significantly uh, um, from their estimates last month. And I think they it probably will, it'll be in that, I think they estimated Minnesota at like 183. It will be in that range probably. Um, I drive a, a considerable distance to go to the corn growers office. And I do that fairly often in my role this year. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of really nice looking corn um, between my home and the office, but it is significantly and visibly shorter than it has been in other years mm -hmm. because that corn just slowed down in growth, waiting for moisture to come. Yeah. And then the other thing that's, that's been so interesting about this year is it's been so spotty, even in my own County, our, our uh, southern end of the county has not had rain, whereas folks in the northern end of the county got a couple, two or three, two to three inch rains. And they're just smiling all, you know, just uh, continuously. So yeah. Yeah. it's been one of the most uh, variable and spotty years that I can ever remember in a lot of years of farming. 
It's it's amazing. Uh, and thank you for for talking about it. It's always important for our listeners to 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 hear the struggles year to year of a farmer. You know, you never have a perfect situation. Um, and and things like drought are reality. Certainly, this incredible production of food and fiber that we know in the United States of America does not happen by accident. We need the farmers who can harness uh, uh, nature and know this science and art of of making crops in what are always less than perfect conditions. Man, so thanks, sir, for for working through that. I I know even though the yields are predicted to be down a bit, this nation is still going to be blessed uh, nationally by by a strong corn crop and other crops. And, And that's just owing great thanks to to the American farmer. So looking ahead, um, maybe uh, Swede, let's just let's just finish up with Minnesota corn's um, top priorities for for the rest of the year. What what are you working on to help support corn growers in your state uh, uh, for the remainder of the year? And and uh, any other kind of cleanup com- comments that you'd have? Well, I think uh, you can't talk about marketing corn uh, in today's environment and not talk about Mexico. Mm-hmm. Mexico is such a big market for export corn and and in our area when we export corn typically we load it on a train and it goes to the west coast but in a lot of uh, eastern minnesota and southern minnesota they put it on a train and it goes straight to mexico yeah and so almost a third of the corn exported from minnesota goes there and these moves by the mexican government to restrict um, american uh, united states gmo corn are, are are big and they're they're going to um, because Mexico is either number one or number two on our corn export destination list. Um, it could be a very very serious thing. Uh, price of corn is pretty inelastic. If you remember your basic economics class, yeah. it doesn't take much of a disruption in demand to really influence the price. Yeah. And it would be, uh, I think, devastating if we don't get this issue resolved by the time we start planning for next year's crop. Um, what are we supposed to do uh, if we're going to grow a crop that there isn't a market for, or at least not a profitable market price for it? So I think that's one of the big things we're working on. Uh, back to to uh, the farm bill. Uh, one of the things we've been talking about is uh, trade issues and, and trade promotion dollars, uh, yeah. MAP and FMD. Yeah. Uh, they're a big deal. Um uh, because they're so efficient, um, the organizations that utilize those dollars have really done great work uh, growing the market for uh, American uh, ag products overseas. Uh, and because the world is hungry, the world needs yeah. protein yeah. and calories, and we have the capability of providing that on a on a scale that almost nobody else does. Right, no one competes with the U.S. in terms of productivity and efficiency of growth. You know, and uh... And and leading the way with technology, incubating the technology that that is open to you know we we have a very open market and we share that, uh, but but still no one does it better. Um, and and we bless the world uh, year after year. I'm so glad you're into these these trade topics and you've brought them up. Yeah. No, we are we are blessed in this in this country uh, with uh, climate and soils that are ideally suited for growing plants of all yeah. kinds. Yeah. And um, and then, uh, like you you mentioned, we've got a history of uh, generations of people who've been working this land who have um, 
you know, uh, improved, uh, put in the drainage infrastructure and then mm -hmm. uh, uh, the power supply grid. Uh, I stand on the shoulders of my my uh, ancestors as, as mm -hmm. we've uh, made this ground productive. And my my goal is I've got a son and and uh, a couple of little grandsons. I, I don't know what their future holds, but they do like being outside when they hear tractors running. So, <laughs> Uh, it's got to make I, your I, heart your heart happy. I've got I've got an eye on the future because um, I I sure want this ground to be better than I found it, and I I uh, certainly hope that the ethic that they inherit from me and from their dad um, would would keep that going into the future. Well, you've you've just hit on two of my favorite themes and and the characteristics of of U.S. agriculture. One. This kind of altruistic notion that you're doing something good for the world, and and the world is blessed by by your productivity, uh, and trade, and 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 having access to 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 address the needs of the world is so important. Uh, but then also the generational aspect, and the fact that you're you know this is not some pundits out there like to talk about the American farmer like they're exploiting the land and and the needs and 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 will leave the next generation without anything, and it is so. Um, uh, uh, departed from the reality of of u.s agriculture which is uh built on the notion of of passing it on better to the next generation than it was passed to you and that is borne out in the productivity stats the reality uh, over decades and decades and generations and generations we're getting better and better and and so thank you in that sense for your stewardship of land and your vision for passing it on better uh, than it was passed to you. That, it really is one of the things that makes uh, American agriculture truly great. Richard, I, we got to wrap up, but I want to thank you so much for joining us today. We certainly, uh, certainly wish you and the rest of the corn growers in Minnesota a, a happy, but also a fruitful and a maybe better than expected harvest season. Uh, certainly look forward to uh, speaking again to you soon. That's going to do it for this episode of Groundwork. I'm Tom Sell.